Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. We're doing this thing called Freedom Sunday, and we do it every year uh, as part of the Nazarene Church. Nazarene Church is a denomination that we're uh, a part of, and, um, and so one of the things that we're going to talk about is human tra- trafficking. And um, it really ties in with the passage that we're going through because we've been going through the book of Mark. And this passage that we're going to read today, um, I believe, and it, it ties in with last week of like being fully awake and aware of what God is doing um, and the ways that he invites us to participate with what he's doing uh, here on earth. Um, to bring his kingdom here on earth, to live out what God's heart is for people, especially those that are outcasts, oppressed, um, those that are suffering. Um, and, and so what we see here in this passage is an interaction between him and the disciples before he goes to like, complete the mission that he set out to accomplish here on earth. So let's, let's read the passage, and then we'll talk about really what the mission looks like and what he's been doing. So... Uh, it is in chapter 14, and we're going to pick up in um, verse 32. So, this is to set the stage. The disciples and Jesus had had the Passover meal in the upper room. Um, last week, we talked about how Jesus points out how there's going to be somebody who basically turns him over to the authorities and somebody's going to basically betray Jesus. And uh, so we really got into the betrayal of all that and what that looks like, uh, and also the redemption and the fact that Jesus loves them in spite of what they did and regardless of what they've done, um, whether it's Judas or Peter. Um, But now they're in the garden and they're praying, so here we go. Uh, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. It's a key line. He's like, this is... The, the, the call on you in this moment is to sit and just to pray. That's it, all right? Like, he's, like this is a serious moment. I need you to pray. Underline that, highlight it, whatever you need to do. Verse 33, he took, him, uh, he took with him Peter and James and John and began to uh, be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed, prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you might not that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, another verse or yeah, verse to underline and highlight right there. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping. So again, you see the pattern here. Is like this is a serious moment. Like the weight of this moment is 
You can, you can sense it. He talks about it. He feels it. He's like, guys, I need you to pray. This is the one thing I need you to do. And he finds them sleeping again. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer to him. And he answered the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So the weightiness of the moment is very clear in in how Jesus expresses, like he's like, if not my will, like your will be done. He's basically like, this is a heavy moment, God. I know what you're calling me to. It's the point of death. But I don't want to do this. This isn't fun. This isn't enjoyable. But your will be done, right? So Jesus like, is committed to the will of the Father. And what he calls the disciples to do, he says, I need you to sit here and pray. He gives them one task, and what do they do? They fall asleep, right? Anybody ever fell asleep praying? I've been there. I've been there. We can, we can all admit to it. Um, there's a sense that I think sometimes that prayer isn't powerful, that it isn't a task that's driven by action, um, that sometimes we undermine it and we just think, oh, we're just sitting here quietly talking to God and it's got no power. But what Jesus commanded them to do, he's like, I need you guys to pray. This is, this is serious, right? Um, there's something very crucial about this moment that I need you to just understand that this prayer is powerful. And so the first thing that I see in there is that prayer does have effect. It does have power. And it is something that Jesus invites his disciples to uh, participate in, to be passionate about, to care about, and yet they just undermine it and fall asleep. And I think that's not any different than how we are. And I'm throwing myself under the bus. That's not any different than I am. That at times I'm like, well, if we see injustice and we see things in the world like, Let's not turn to prayer. Let's turn to action. Let's be people of doing stuff, you know? Let's change the situation. And what we see here is that, first of all, he's not ignoring action, but he's, he's calling them to prayer. And I think there's something powerful to that. Keep watch. And there's a second element to it that he calls them all to keep watch together. That as a collective, they're invited to pray. This wasn't like an individual thing. This wasn't like, oh, yeah, if you feel like praying, you can do your thing. If not, just go grab some lunch or something, you know? Um, it was collectively pray because this is a very serious situation. And um, as we were in our, our sermon prep, we were kind of talking about this, and Carissa brought up this idea that, like, sometimes we, we hyper-individualize our Christian faith, and we think that... Um, that what I do is what's most important. It's between me and God, and it's not really connected to others in, in how we interact as believers. Um, and sometimes the question is, like, am I my brother's keeper, right? Like, am I responsible for someone else? And what we see on display here is that Jesus clearly says, yes, you, like, if I am burdened and I'm about to go through this heavy thing, yes, you should be burdened for me and pray for me, right? That there should be this sense of, like, This person's going through something really difficult, pray. Be there to support them. Be there to back them up. Be there to, like, push back the darkness, right? And so 
what we see here theologically is like we are called to care for others. We are called that if someone is hurting, and Jesus is clearly in that place where he's like, we, I think sometimes we elevate it to like, he's God, and he's there doing his thing, and so he doesn't need our help. But clearly, he invites us in that process. Isn't that crazy? Like this crazy mystery that Jesus, who's God, who could like strike down lightning at any moment and end all of it, is like, I need you guys to pray for me. Right? And, and I think there's, there's a humility in that. There, he's not elevating himself up above anything. He's just like, there's a mission here that I'm called to like be a part of and pushing back the darkness. I need you guys to work with me in this. And I think that's the invitation that we have as believers. And so um, as we talk about our faith, as we talk about like who we are as Christians, like why we gather on a Sunday morning, the invitation is that we come together, that we work together to pray and to participate in what God wants to do. And so um, one of the, the things that I think happens here is I mentioned that prayer sometimes we're like, what does it do? It doesn't do anything. Like let's just take a nap because Jesus is going to do his thing and he's God and he just... It's all going to happen anyway, so why pray? Um, I believe that it's because we have a lack of prophetic imagination. And this is a term that uh, an Old Testament professor called Walter Brueggemann coined. as like this prophetic imagination. He loved studying the Old Testament prophets. And what he saw is that the Old Testament prophets had an imagination, an understanding of what God was trying to do here on earth to push back darkness, Right? And we've talked about this in previous weeks, that there there is always a battle between good and evil, right? There's always a battle between light and darkness that's going on constantly on an individual level that every single one of us dealt with this week as we dealt with challenges, right? Um, As well as globally, culturally, whatever it is, there's always going to be that tension. And what he says is if we have a prophetic imagination, we begin to see what God is trying to do here on earth. And I don't think the disciples understood what God was trying to do on earth through Jesus. I don't think they understood it. They were just like, I'm really tired. My eyes are heavy right now. I'm just taking a nap. And I don't understand why this is important, but Jesus keeps telling us to, and I don't get it. Maybe we'll get it eventually. But they fall asleep, right? Their imagination wasn't captured by what God was trying to do. Their imagination was limited. And what he, how he describes it, talking about Walter Brueggemann, is he says, um, where we at? Um, says uh, he recognized that the prophets of the Old Testament measured the wealth and the worth of a nation and a people by how well the widow, the orphan, and the stranger are doing. So like he measured, like prophets understood that a culture, what was going on in that city or whatever, um, the success of it was measured by how well the least of these are doing, how the widow, the orphan, the outcast, the stranger, how well they are taken care of. That's how well a society is doing. Um, And then it goes on and he says, how well the least of these in a society are doing, not by how much wealth or power there is, but by how well a society is taking care of the most vulnerable among them. And I was like, wow, like our imagination, I think a lot of times the culture is like, we need to be successful, rich, have tons of resources as individuals. But what he's saying is like, when we have a prophetic imagination, we begin to see that, no, those could be used to help the least of these. That we are called to be participants in helping the least of these, the widow, the orphan, the outcast, right? 
Um, and so when a society takes care of those people, then it is successful. And a lot of times, sadly, we don't believe that, right? We're like, no, the successful are the people that have money, large homes, amazing vehicles, big bank accounts, right? And it's like, no, the measure is like, how well we take care of the least of these. And so the disciples in this moment, I think, lacked a vision. They lacked a big vision of what Jesus was doing. And so um, what was Jesus doing? Let's answer that question real quick. And then I want to talk about like, how we can participate in this, right? Freedom Sunday, what we're talking about when we talk about humans, uh, human trafficking um, and modern-day slavery. So Jesus' mission right here was solely to push back the darkness, right? I already mentioned that. And we see this in Luke, and he describes what that pushing back looks like. Okay, here he goes. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus talking. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So he's anointed him to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the invitation here by Jesus is that he wants to continually be doing this, and he invites the disciples to do this, to continually let the oppressed go free to continually proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the year of the Lord's favor is that like God cares about the least of these, right? And so when we talk about Freedom Sunday and this, this whole idea, um, what we're doing is we're recognizing that there are those that are marginalized in our world and we need to be participants in it, all right? That's essentially what this is all about. Um, and so what I want to do is take some time to talk about... Um, an issue. This isn't the only issue that we face in our society, and this isn't the only issue that we as Christians are called to be participants in, but I believe it's one that we need to be informed in so that we understand how to participate and how to be um, agents for change when it comes to um, this topic. And so imagine, we're talking about our imagination, imagine for a second working 11 hours a day at a job where you could never leave and you got paid not nearly enough to even provide food, shelter, clothing, basic necessities for you. And you had to do that seven days a week. And you never knew how to get out of that cycle. Imagine that. Imagine that scenario. Um, imagine thinking the best option for your family to get out of poverty is to sell your body online. Imagine that. Like, try and picture. Like, so I think an imagination is required for us to understand what it means to have God's heart for the broken when we talk about human trafficking. Picture yourself in their shoes. Picture yourself at that state, like such a low place, such a marginalized place that you are having to do things that you would never want to do. We live in such freedom that I don't think we can fathom what that's like. Maybe some of you have had glimpses and been around a little bit, but I believe that like, even the knowledge that you might have already around this idea of human trafficking might be kind of like where the disciples are like, we should pray, we're kind of asleep to it. Like we're aware, we're like, yeah, that's crazy. Back to my nap, you know what I mean? Like I'm not like throwing us all into the bus and like saying that, but I think sometimes we're just not totally in tune with like really the gravity of what happens. And so I wanna talk about this a little bit. I'm gonna show you guys a couple of videos. And then um, show you guys some ways that like, we can be involved, or ways that our church is already involved. 
Um, human trafficking, we need to start with the definition so we kind of understand it. I want to talk a little bit about like some myths and help us just kind of get a grasp for what that looks like. Because um, maybe you're super familiar with this, and uh, forgive me if I'm just kind of redundant in what I'm talking about, but some of you might not, this might be new, this might be new information for you. So, um, Human trafficking definition, uh, the unlawful act of transporting or coercing people in order to benefit from their work or service, typically in the form of forced labor or sexual exploitation. Myth, human trafficking is another term for human smuggling. So a lot of times, like in our mind, we're thinking about like people being moved somewhere from one country to another, to another place. Um, the reality is smuggling is a crime against a country's borders. Human trafficking is a crime against a person. These are distinct federal crimes in the United States. While smuggling requires illegal border crossing, human trafficking involves commercial sex acts or labor or services that are induced through force, fraud, or coercion. Those are kind of the three terms that we have to be aware of when we talk about human trafficking. And so it's force, fraud, or coercion, regardless of whether or not transportation occurs. Um, another myth, there must be elements of physical restraint, physical force, when identifying a human trafficking situation. So a lot of times we think that they're just like chained up somewhere, like in a home or whatever, like it's not the case. Um, the reality is that trafficking does not require physical restraint, bodily harm, or physical force. Majority of, of victims are reluctantly going down the path due to poverty. And when we talk about poverty, um, that could be not just material poverty, but spiritual poverty, um, being neglected by family, community, uh, ostracized in some way, and having to then like being at such a low state default to something or being vulnerable to being taken advantage by others. And so it's not, I think, what we think of it in a lot of terms. Um, and especially now the internet is pervasive. It's globally like people have access to internet in the poorest of places. Um, and that's where cyber trafficking begins to take place. And cyber trafficking uh, is the exploitation of a person through the internet via webcam, photos, videos, or other digital media. Like sex trafficking, the victim is forced to provide sexual services via force, fraud, or coercion. And that's something that isn't just limited to countries that are over there, okay? I want you to think this happens here in San Diego. We are the 10th, we're in the top 10 list in the nation as far as sex trafficking. And so when you think of it in terms of like it being somebody chained up somewhere, that's, you, we have to like, remove that from our mind. It's literally, it's coercion, it's fraud, it's people being manipulated, um, and many times children um, from the age of like nine to 16 is like the most common, the most vulnerable. And so I wanna talk about locally, like how, what this looks like. And I recognize this is a very heavy subject. As I was studying it this week, I felt a weight and a disgust and a, an uneasiness, and, I, and I, I think you just have to acknowledge that as we talk about it, as you sit here in church and we talk about it. Um, there will be a weightiness to this, um, and it's something that I think we just have to, we have to recognize that when we talk about evil and we talk about these things that exist in our world, um, it's going to be taxing on us in the same way that the disciples were meant to be 
burdened for Jesus. They weren't that burdened. They weren't burdened enough. They fell asleep. And I think we have, in order to stay awake, we have to keep our eyes awake. We've got to keep our eyes open, but it's going to require a cost on our part. And so I just want to say that because this is a heavy subject to talk about, um, and it's been heavy on me. And so um, as I talk about these facts, I, I hope we don't take it lightly, and I hope we don't just try and push it away because it is heavy, right? Um, or try and uh, ignore it. Um, so Locally, what does this look like? Human trafficking takes advantage of a lot of times the poor and the vulnerable and the outcasts, as we mentioned. Um, and the largest um, source of human trafficking, uh, sex trafficking in San Diego is through gangs. That um, uh, acquaintance that we all have um, as being part of the Nazarene Church is this guy Jamie Gates down at Point Loma. And he's done with his team a, do- a ton of research uh, and a lot of work with law enforcement to try and figure out how do we begin to resolve the issues that exist in San Diego. Um, he's just thinking locally, how do we begin to push back on this? And uh, in their research, they found that there's a little over 100 gangs that, um, that perpetrate a lot of what happens, the majority of what happens. Um, and, and that could be uh, varied uh, all across the board as far as like how involved they are, um, and what you think of what a typical gang looks like. And so 55% of those arrested were homeless. Um, so homeless, a lot of times, are taken advantage of. Uh, 28% were in foster care. Um, and so, you can, again, you see people are taking advantage of the vulnerable. And when we talk about how we begin to be aware and engaged as a church, as a community, um, you have to be able to like see the signs of where these people are going to manipulate people, and so homeless and um, and the foster care system is is a big target. And the best uh, way to combat this issue locally, uh, I think, is awareness, and then beginning to invest in the most vulnerable. And I, the years that I did youth ministry, I recognized how how easily um, I think like watching teens' lives and those that were the most vulnerable, how easily others would take advantage of them. And so I would say, be aware of the young people that are in your life, whether you have children or you don't have children or you have friends who have children who um, are around kids. That A lot of times you can see the warning signs, the outcasts, the ones that are um, just the most vulnerable. And, and I think an awareness to say we need to be people, we need to be a community that includes those that are vulnerable so that they do not default to those places where they are taken advantage of. Um, and so I think it's almost like one of those things where we gotta start all the way upstream. Like once, like once someone's gotten into this case, which we're gonna talk about the global issues, but uh, once someone's fallen into this place of being taken advantage of, um, there was a lot of steps prior to that that led them to that place, to be in that vulnerable state. And how are we as a church, a community, that invites those that are the outcast and, and helps people feel welcome um, and cared for? And so I think it's one of those things, like upstream. Who, how can you begin to be aware of those children that are in your life? Because we all have a sphere of influence um, that may be vulnerable, that maybe you can invest in, that you can care for, um, or help others invest in and care for. Um, and we'll talk about some organizations locally that, that have that going on in a minute. But um, So locally, that's kind of what's going on. Uh, one of the things that Jamie Gates uh, started was this 
No More project, which um, I'll show you a quick clip of what that looks like, but it's using drama to begin to go into the schools and teach children about what it looks like to be aware and push back on these things. So check this out, it's like a minute clip. San Diego is one of the top 10 cities most impacted by human trafficking in the nation. There are over 3,500 victims of sex trafficking every year all over San Diego County. The average age of entry is 16 years old and children as young as eight years old are recruited. But San Diego will not be silent. No More is a human trafficking prevention and awareness program for youth and families. It was developed by local experts to address trafficking in our context here in San Diego. No More uses a live drama and audience interaction to create a unique and safe environment for engagement while teaching communities how to recognize the warning signs of trafficking. Prevention starts with us. And it's going to take all of us together to say, no more. I just want to show you that because uh, that's one of the things they're doing in local schools to go and use the creative arts drama to begin to open up discussion uh, for what it looks like to, um, I think, help teens understand not only um, how to begin to, uh, I think, see those warning signs, uh, not only in themselves, but also in their friends and how they can begin to be participants in helping um, set people free. And so, um, yeah, awesome, awesome thing that they're doing. Um, and that's just like an, a local example of ways that um, the Nazarene Church is involved in, um, in, I think, pushing back the darkness. And so uh, globally, I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like and what the Nazarene Church is doing uh, globally to engage um, this, this topic. And so some of the facts, there are an estimated 45 million people held in slavery today. Uh, human trafficking generates about $150 billion a year. Over 2 million children are exploited in the global commercial sex trade. When we talk about access to internet um, being something that is so great for so many people, which it is, it also has a dark side to it. And in the last handful of years, that's ramped up exponentially, especially through the pandemic, um, that the vulnerable are being taken advantage of through, uh, through the internet. And, um, and so again, like even talking about on a local scale, like there is, it's, it's such a, I don't know, it's, there's such a vulnerability when it comes to online and the privacy and everything that happens uh, when a kid feels neglected, outcast, um, that opens a door for evil to, to step in. And, and I linked in, uh, in the um, bulletin notes, um, a link to kind of basically give you an understanding as a parent how powerful the internet is, and not only for individuals to go down a very dark road, but also to be taken advantage of and manipulated and coerced um, to doing these things, these horrendous acts that, um, that have, yeah, sadly been, um, been now made completely global and now 
to the least of these when we talk about those in extreme poverty. So, um, yeah, I want to show you a quick clip of what, um, what it looks like to bring hope in these situations um, because I can talk about the negative and the dark side of it um, because there's a million stats out there as I started digging into it. Um, but I feel like it's more powerful to give us a vision, give us an imagination for what it looks like to participate in change, what it looks like to push back that darkness. And one of the ways is um, through this, this home, this community the Nazarene Church has built. And uh, I just want to show you guys what that might look like um, and what this looks like um, to begin to participate as a church. Check this out. Children love to be seen. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be appreciated. You see a child that is making her drawing so beautiful. They will always show it to somebody that they trust because children need affirmation. They need relationship. They need support system. They need family. Basically, what's going on here in the Philippines is that people, both local and foreign, are taking advantage of the innocence of, uh, of, of the child. Online sexual exploitation of children is destroying the lives of children in the Philippines. A perpetrator will connect a child to a pedophile that is most of the time overseas. Uh, through the use of internet, mobile phones, or laptops, they facilitate the transaction for an online show. Children as young as a year old are being sold into this kind of market. In 70% of the cases, parents or their relatives are involved. Uh, they serve as the one who is selling the children. Some of the children don't know that they are being exploited because as it was explained to them, it's just a quote-unquote a show. They follow instructions from their families, the people that they trust, because they don't want to lose these people. They prefer to have bad parents than do not have family at all. And when the children were rescued, they blame themselves that their parents or their relative is in jail. They believe that it's because of them. Philippines was identified as the epicenter of OSEC around the world. OSEC, that's a ripple effect. The first victim is the child. Second is the family. Third is the community. Poverty is the major contributing factor here in the Philippines. It's easy money, like $100 for one session, and that's a lot of money for Filipinos. But it's not the only reason. Most of the pedophiles overseas uh, prefer Filipinos because we can easily understand English as young as one year old. The access to technology is also a contributing factor. You just need a smartphone now, and for 50 pesos, you can access unlimited data for a day. Because in the traditional sex trafficking, you just need to go to a brothel or red light district and it's there. But in OSEC, it is happening everywhere. Even in remote places, even in impoverished communities, as long as people have access to the internet, online sexual exploitation can happen. So the Church of the Nazarene, we started to ask ourselves, how can we engage in fight against online sexual exploitation of children? And we see the gap that uh, there is no uh, assessment center specifically for children who are rescued. 
And so God has given us the vision for a facility that will speed up the recovery and the rehabilitation of the child without compromising the quality and the holistic care. Shechem Children's Home, it's an assessment center. We give the totality of what the child needs to recover from the trauma. We have two house parents in the day and also during the night. We also have the security guards here 24 hours making sure the children are safe. Love is an action word and part of that, you know, that word love is time. And how could you say that you love someone if you could not give time? My role as a residential social worker is to listen to them, give them attention, especially when they need someone to talk to or to spend time with and educate them about their experiences. Since these kids are not aware about the consequence of their activity, there is no difference when it comes to the consequences of OSEC and other types of abuse like sexual abuse or physical abuse. The trauma itself is in the kids. Emotionally, it's really overwhelming helping these kids. It's challenging, but it's fulfilling. I can see the transformation from the day that they came here until now. I think the most fulfilling part of this kind of ministry is when you see the smile in the face of those kids, despite all that they've experienced, after all that pain that they've come through, they have the opportunity to smile, to laugh again, to dream for themselves, for their future. Our goal is to show to these children that life does not end there. Here in Shechem, we can start something new. It can be a new beginning for them. It starts with the heart of compassion. If we just open our eyes and see the needs of our community, crying with those who are mourning and embracing people that society has neglected. We don't know yet what the future holds, but we know that God will provide the resources and use this center for the restoration of many broken children. So the restoration that's happening there is bringing hope. And it, I think it gives me hope to know that this is what we're involved in. This is the kind of community we are called to be. Um, the, a heart of compassion um, transforms lives. And whatever darkness, whatever stats I've already described, um, they can be pushed back. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, I recognize we live in a fallen world, but we as believers, we as Christ followers are invited, as Jesus invited them, to be praying, to be compassionate. And I think the reason the disciples fell asleep is because they didn't have that compassion. I'm sure they learned it afterwards, right? Hindsight, they went, oh, man, we really blew it. But I hope that we can have a heart of compassion. I hope that we can learn from passages like this where Jesus invites us to participate and that we don't fall asleep, that we're, we're engaged, that we're fully awake, eyes wide open, going, you know what? I want to I see this darkness being pushed back. I want to have a prophetic imagination that God is doing beautiful things through us. And you might say, look, I'm not part of that. Like if Being part of the Nazarene church and what we do continually as a, 
as a local church here um, supports ministries like that, supports homes like that, that brings restoration. And so, yes, if you are part of tithing here and giving offering, yes, you are part of that. Um, You're part of helping push that back. Do we want to default just to, like, giving money to something and just saying, oh, hopefully that will all get resolved? No. We want to have a holistic perspective that says, how can we help Point Loma and what they're doing? How can we locally as individuals be aware and see those that are the least of these, that are outcasts, that may be vulnerable, and begin to see maybe there's one kid that you know that you can invest in and make a difference. I don't know. But maybe it's participating financially, then I want to give you that option today. Like I want to say like we want to give as a church towards ministries like this um, and continue to support that and not be silent when it comes to these issues and to be informed. Um, if we are not informed, that's part of why I showed you all these stats locally and globally. Because if we're not informed, we just think it doesn't exist. And I'm sure if you went and asked a bunch of people if they said, like, is there a sex slave industry here in San Diego? People are like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen that. Right? Because you don't see it. It's not, because of the internet, it's not visible. And because of what happens behind closed doors, it's not visible. We have to be aware and we have to begin to push back on those things. So I gave us a bunch of resources. Um, Again, I I put them all in the bulletin. And it's not just to bombard you, but to give you resources to study beyond what I can give you in 30 minutes. Actually, I went way over. I'm already five minutes over. Sorry about that. Um, But plenty of resources in there to click and go, North County, how can I begin to be a participant? Um, I gave a link to um, Beauty uh, for Ashes, and that's a, uh, an opportunity to then like give towards people that have been taken out of the sex slave industry and given um, scholarships to go to Point Loma to have, you know, there's, I'll, there's links in there. You can watch the stories of people's lives that have been transformed because they've been given an education. Um, taken out of that system and given hope. And so, um, yeah, I, I just believe that we need to be a church that's aware, but then also participating in whatever element that looks like. And that might develop and grow as you journey in your faith and the things that you're passionate about. Um, but take some time this week, link into those. Um, International Justice Mission does, a, does an amazing job globally when it comes to legal issues and, and fighting legally in countries to protect the vulnerable. Um, and then another one, if you like to run and bike, venture.org. Um, you can set up to ride a certain amount of miles or run a certain mi- amount of miles and give towards um, their trafficking, uh, anti-trafficking initiatives globally. Um, and uh, yeah, there's tons of ways to participate. And I would invite you, if you want to give right now, um, I threw the QR code. If you just take your camera out on your phone, it'll scan it. It'll pull it up. Um, but that takes you straight to um, one of the options on our page to give straight towards this home, the Shechem home, um, that, get, that is doing an amazing job. And so um, I hope that starts to at least create some awareness, some concern for compassion, um, and to engage in that conversation when it comes to pushing back the darkness, because that is our invitation as disciples um, to continue to be part of that. Um, Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is upon him to push back that darkness, and that's what we are called to do. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I pray your spirit would be upon us. Um, We know that as a promise of your word that your spirit goes with us wherever we go, and that you are constantly drawing us to 
participating, to being fully awake to what you are doing here on earth um, as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray that your spirit would continue to prompt us even as we leave today, as we go into the rest of this week, um, to see the needs around us, to begin to be burdened for those that are um, being taken advantage of, uh, the least of these within our community and globally, Lord. Um, Continue to give us a heart of compassion Give us eyes to see the needs. Uh, We pray this in your name. Amen.